What's up, people? Super excited that we're at Second Chance Church today, and we're in a different location, and there's an explanation for that. Um, last night in Anderson, we had um, some thunderstorms, and I love thunderstorms. Anybody in here love thunderstorms? Anybody paranoid of thunderstorms? Okay, I'm not, I, so I would, I kind of videoed a little bit of the thunderstorm, it was awesome. It was awesome right up until it knocked out the power. And it knocked out the power in a section of downtown Anderson where um, my apartment is and also our office is. And so we had to scramble today and find a brand new location to broadcast from um, Second Chance Church. And so we're actually in the facility that we're, we're going to be meeting in starting in September. They start demolition of this place tomorrow. Um, which is just a miracle and so we were able to scramble get some stuff set up and meet here today So if it looks a little different or if it sounds a little different, just turn up your volume um, We're super excited today. We're starting a brand new series in the book of Ruth and just wanted to make this announcement Talk more about it at the end um, The 250k campaign we're 10% of the way there so far. We've had $25,000 come in total for the 250000 campaign to raise to um, upfit this building. So thank you for those of you that have given, and for those of you that haven't given, get on it. All right, here we go. Um, you might find this hard to believe, but when I was in high school, I was on the track team, and, and I, I didn't run. I, I threw shot put and disc. And to say that I threw shot put and disc is a little, I, I just, I never really competed. I just... I went out for the track team because in easily in the 1980s, um, nobody got cut. And so that's the only reason I was on the track team. And I never really was any good, but one of the reasons I wanted to go out on the track team is because I love to see the runners and the relay races, like the 4x400 four and the um, 400 relay. I love to see, and they always did that at the very end. It was always super exciting to see the relay races. And um, I, I kind of forgot about that. Until recently, I was playing around on YouTube, and I don't know if you ever played around on YouTube. Um, funny, there's some funny stuff. There's some not so good stuff. There's some funny stuff on YouTube, and so I put in YouTube um, greatest comeback ever because I was in a sports mood and I was thinking like football or basketball or whatever, and it put up a clip that I remembered it when it happened. It was in 2008, and it was a track meet, and there was a, there were four runners in this race. And they were running the 600 meter relay. Now, a 600 meter relay is three laps around a standard track. And there was a there was a lady competing in this event. Her name was Heather Dorendon. And the reason I remember Heather's name is because they they're into the event. They do the first lap, then they do the second lap. On the third lap, on the last lap, right at the beginning, Heather had just taken the lead, and she fell down. Now, when I say she fell down. She didn't stumble. She didn't kind of trip over herself a little bit. Like, she completely falls down. Like, when you're running and you fall and you can't really brace yourself, just and wipes out. And you can hear the announcers, and the announcers are like, oh, this is so horrible. This is awful. Now, I'm just going to be honest. If that was me, I wouldn't have gotten back up. I would have just been, I would have just been laid out. I would have pretended I was passed out or whatever. Like I wouldn't have gotten up at all whatsoever. But she immediately popped back up and continued to run. And the announcers are like, oh, we're so proud 
of Heather. You know, she's going to at least try to finish the race. But then something happened. And in the backstretch, she goes Forrest Gump and completely is like catching up on the third place runner. There's four girls in the race. She's catching up and they're like, she's catching up with a third place runner. This looks amazing. When they came out, when they went in the last turn, she's actually gaining on the first and second place runner. You can hear the crowds going wild. When they came down the final stretch at the very end, Heather surges forward and actually wins the race. And it is mind blowing. You can see this on YouTube. I watched it several times this week. Just, I'm, I'm kind of getting excited about it right now because it was, it was one of the greatest comebacks I've ever seen. Because when, in a track meet, when you fall on the last lap, most people would just give up. But what I saw happen in Heather, what we're gonna see happen in the book of Ruth, by the way, if you have a Bible, go to the book of Ruth, because that's where we're gonna be for the next four weeks, maybe five, but probably four. And what we see in life, and what I'm seeing um, in so many people's lives is this, that a setback is actually a setup for a comeback. A setback is actually a setup for a comeback. Because one thing we all have in common, every single person in this room, every single person watching this broadcast right now, whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian, is every one of us, just like Heather, have fallen in a race. Maybe not in a real race, but we have fallen in life. We've had a relational uh, failure. We've had um, a moral failure. We've had a financial failure. We've had some sort of emotional thing go on. We have all fallen and we've all experienced, every person knows what it's like in some capacity to experience a setback. And unfortunately, so many times we'll let that setback keep us in a paralyzed position for the rest of our life. But a setback is a setup for a comeback and you're gonna to have to stay with us all four weeks to see because the end of this story ends in a way in fact this is one of the greatest um, short stories not just in the Bible but in literature in general okay so we're gonna dive in Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 here we go the Bible says in the days when the judges ruled now let me pause real quick let me pause real quick some of you're like he can't read a freaking verse you're right because there are things that you got to point out the days when the judges ruled were a particular time period in the history of Israel, and it was crazy. In fact, the book right before Ruth is the book of Judges. And the book of Judges, the very last verse in Judges, um, Judges chapter 21, verse 25 says this, In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So right here, I mean, it was crazy. You got spring break um, combined with Mardi Gras combined with Hebrews going wild. Okay, that's what's going on right here. People are just losing their minds. No standards. They're doing whatever they want. So the Bible says in those days when complete chaos was going on, there was a famine in the land, which is pretty serious. And God would often use famines to try to get the nations of Israel attention. Hey. Guys, you're turning your back on me. I'm going to allow a dry season to come into your life so you will turn your attention back to me. And that's what's going on. So a man from Bethlehem, Bethlehem literally means house of bread. It's very important. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country 
of Moab. Now, if we're just reading this verse out, you know, outright, we tend to just kind of go on to verse 2. But verse 1 is loaded. Let me take just a minute to explain it. Bethlehem is symbolic in this text of where the people of God are. But where the people of God were, there, there was a famine going on. So this guy, we're going to find out his name in just a second, decides to take his family and go to Moab, which is about 40 miles away. Now, Moab was a, was a, was a wicked place. In fact, the nation of Moab got started because a man had sex with his daughter. So right there, it, it talk about a weird family gathering, right? This is your father and your grandfather. I mean, it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. So that's how Moab got started. Moab was a wicked place. It was a sinful place. The Israelites were told not to hang out with the Moabites. You couldn't marry the Moabites. But because this man is experiencing some famine, don't miss this, he turns his back on Bethlehem, which is a representation of God and the people of God, and he goes to Moab. He takes a, about a 40-mile journey, about a one to one and a half weeks walk to Moab. And, and, and this has happened in so many of our lives. At times, maybe when we go through a dry season, maybe when we, we experience a, a setback, we're tempted to turn our back on God and walk in a direction, because don't miss this, if Moab's over here, I can't walk toward Moab and keep my eyes on Jesus at the same time. If I'm walking toward Moab, I'm not looking at Jesus. And that's what's going on in this text. Now, I'm not judging the guy, because famines cause us to do and say things that we ordinarily wouldn't say and do, right? For example, I'm a Clemson fan. I've always been a Clemson fan, by the grace of God. I've had people say, one of the things that always bothers me is you always talk about Clemson. It's probably because you're a Carolina fan and you can't handle it. But, as a Clemson fan, we went through a famine for five years in a row. Some of you will remember this. South Carolina beat us. I say us like I was on the freaking field. So they beat us five years in a row. And it was horrible. And here's what's crazy. We were going like 8-3, and 9-2, and 10-2, and losing to South Carolina. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. How many people, by the way, are Clemson fans? How many are Carolina fans? Okay. And, and listen, it's true for both. What I'm about to say is true for both. As a Clemson fan, if we lost every game but beat South Carolina, we'd be, we'd be okay. Next season is going to be a good team. Am I right? Am I right? As a South Carolina fan, you could lose every game, am I right? And still be Clemson? You'd be like, you know what, next season's gonna be all right. So I know what it's like to go. We went five years. And during those five years, I knew lifelong Clemson fans that were saying, I don't know. I don't know about this Dabo guy. I don't know about Dabo. I, they, they, were ready, they were ready to get rid of Dabo, just throw Dabo out because he couldn't beat South Carolina. Then he wins the national championship and beats South Carolina. Now everybody's naming their kids Dabo and they're going to build a statue to him or whatever. But that's what it's like to go through a famine. So anytime we see somebody walking towards Moab, anytime we see somebody walking away from God, let's not be quick to judge because we don't know what they're going through. Instead of condemning them on the spot, we should care enough to at least find out what their story is. Um, we'll keep going. Um, verse 2 said, the man's name was Elimelech. 
Now, Elimelech means God is my king. Isn't it funny that you got a man named God is my king who's walking toward Moab? In other words, in other words, don't miss this. His name was God is my king, but he was living his life like God was not his king. The reason I'm saying that is because many people, can, we, we can call ourselves Christian and still walk toward Moab. Just because we say, the, the, the myth is once you become a Christian, then you get out of bed and a leprechaun brings you lucky charms and you ride a unicorn to work and then everything always goes good. And I, that's not my experience and that's not people in the Bible's experience. So just because, just because somebody's a Christian doesn't mean that they're never going to experience a time of famine and during that time of famine at least be tempted to turn their back on God and walk toward Moab. So you got a Limelech, then you got a woman named Naomi. Now when I hear Naomi, I think of the Judds because I like country music in the 1980s, but some of you will have to Google the Judds. Um, his wife was Naomi, and Naomi means sweetness or sweetheart. Do you know somebody like that? They just walk in the room and brighten it up. It's just great. I'm looking around the room right now. There's nobody really in the room like that. I, Carly's like that. Carly is like that. Carly just walks in a room. She just brightens it up. And that's, uh, that's, I was just messing with y'all. Um, the name, this is weird. The name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Now, if you're looking for a baby name, I would not recommend Malon and Kilion. And this is going to be really important in just a little while. But the literal names of these kids, Malon, the best translation is sick or sickness, and Kilion is dying. How jacked up do you have to be to name your kids sick and dying? That would be like running into somebody today and them saying, hi, my name's Jack, this is my son diabetes, and my other son cancer. You would be like, okay, our kids can't play with your kids, right? Sick and dying, that's very important. We're going to come back to that in just a little while. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, once again mentioned in Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So they went to a place that God told them to stay away from. Okay? Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And, while she, was, and she was left with her two sons. Now I want to pause real quick. This is where some hyper-charismatic um, people will say, that's what happens when you walk away from God, you get killed. Well, not really, but I will say this. Anytime we turn our back on God and we walk toward Moab, something dies. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's joy. I'll guarantee you purpose dies because... We cannot connect to our purpose unless we're connected to the one who created us. And we can't connect to the one who created us while we're walking towards Moab. Anytime we walk away from God, something dies. And I don't say that to scare you. I just say that to kind of put the facts out there. That something inside of us is going to die when we walk away, when we walk from Bethlehem to Moab. And it gets crazier. Watch this. Verse 4. They married Moabite women. Stop. They were forbidden to do that in the Bible. You don't marry Moabite women. 
They, they worshiped a false god. They were, I mean, I can't even go into how bad this was for them. So Malon and Kilion married Moabite women. But the Bible goes on to say, um, one was named Oprah. I'm just kidding, Orpah. One was named Orpah. And the other, Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, can we all just agree that at this point in the story, life sucked for Naomi? She had lost her husband, she had lost her two sons, and she had no grandchildren. This is, this is what you call a setback. I think we could all agree. Now, two things I want to point out, though. Two things I want to point out. Number one, it's no wonder that Malon and Kilion died because all their life, all that had been spoken over them was sickness and dying. And there's another message for another time here, parents, but let me just say this to all the parents. The words we speak to and about our children really do matter to our children. These boys had had sickness and death spoken over them their whole life. No wonder they die four verses, five verses into the story. But the second thing that I want us to look at is how Naomi's life had fallen completely apart. And you know what? Some people that love to sit in the judgment seat could probably say, well, you know what? She got what she deserved. She got what she deserved. She walked away from Bethlehem. She went to Moab. She didn't just go there for a visit. She stayed. She let her boys marry Moabite women. Her life's falling apart. She got exactly what she deserved. But see, we've got two options as followers of Christ when we look at somebody else's story. We can look at it through the lens of compassion or condemnation. And I believe one of the reasons the church has become so marginalized in our country is we're known more for our condemnation rather than our compassion. And I believe if we were known more for our compassion rather than our condemnation, we would see a move of God sweep this nation unlike anything we've ever experienced in the history of the world. We just got to get off the judgment seat and learn how to sit in the mercy seat. Because, because listen, let me, let me, if you've ever taken your kid to a sporting event, like basketball or football, none of your kids on the way out has been like, Mom, Dad, can we stop by the gift shop? Why? I want to get a referee jersey and a whistle and a flag because I love the referee. I love how the referee was always pointing out how everybody was doing everything wrong. I love how they stopped the play. I love how they held up the game. Nobody loves the referee. But too many times as followers of Christ, we want to play the referee when we don't understand the entire story. That there's something else going on here. In fact, we see it happen in the next verse. Watch this. Verse, verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by, pro by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. I want to pause real quick. This is a miracle that Naomi could be in Moab and hear what God was doing in Bethlehem. Now, we wouldn't think of that as a miracle, but this was thousands of years ago. No media, 
No newspaper, no TV commercials, no, no iPhones, no Twitter, no Instagram, no Snapchat. It's a miracle that Naomi heard in Moab that God is doing something in Bethlehem and her heart is drawn to go back home. And I'm saying that for the person who may be listening today that thinks you're too far gone. If Naomi can live in Moab for 10 years and go about as far from God as you could go and God gently starts calling her home, maybe that's the same thing he wants to do with everyone who's wandered away to Moab. He's like, you know what? There's something going on over here and I just want you to come back home. And she's going to take her daughters-in-law with them, which, which a little problematic. We'll see that in just a second. Verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Verse 8, watch this. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each one of you, to your mother's home. And then she prays for them. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. In other words, don't, don't miss this. Naomi spent time in Moab. She's going back to Bethlehem. But in that journey, sometimes when we've been somewhere we shouldn't have been, we've done some stuff we shouldn't have done, we, we, we feel shame and we feel guilt and we automatically want to disassociate with everyone around us. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Solitude is awesome, but isolation is destructive. But we see something happen in this story that I'm praying happens in all of our lives. Um, the Bible goes on to say um, in the next verse, And they said to her, We'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home. In other words, she's trying to get rid of these girls. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. She's pretty insistent that she wants to walk alone. She said, I am too old to have another husband. Even if I, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Pause. Had she lost hope? Absolutely. Is there somebody out there that has lost hope? Or you're losing hope? I understand. I know what it's like to be in that situation. To be to, in this story, in this moment, right here. See, Ruth had, like, Naomi had not read the book of Ruth. She don't know how this story ends. She just knows she's walking. Isn't it funny you can walk back towards God but still not have any hope in your heart? It's, that We see that in the story. She said, even if there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. She said this. Don't miss this because we're going to see this word a lot. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She said, my life right now is bitter because God's hand has turned against me. Now, pause. Once again, the legalist, the person in the judgment seat would go, Actually, God's hand has not turned against you. You did it to yourself, and you just got what you deserve. But at the end of the day, none of us really want what we deserve. 
She goes on, I mean, the, the dialogue continues. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Now, let me just kind of say this. In life, in life, you're going to have some people that walk away, and you're going to have some people that stay. That's the way it's going to be. In your life, you're going to have people that walk away, and you're going to have people that stay. And listen to me, listen to me. The people that walk away, you got to let them go. Orpah is never mentioned in the story again. If they're going to walk away, you've got to let them walk away. But then you're going to have people, you're going to have people like Ruth that says, I'm not leaving you. I don't care how bad your situation gets. In fact, she goes on to say this, and this is, this is intense. Look, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, now this is intense, don't miss this. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Right there, that's like a conversion experience. She's turning from her God in Moab to the God in Bethlehem, to the one true God. This is intense. She said, where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, I want to pause for a second. I remember there was a season in my life where I prayed for friends like that. God, send me friends like Ruth. Send me friends that will stick with me no matter what. Send me friends that will love me no matter what. Send, fr send friends that will hang with me no matter what. And I remember God speaking to me very clearly. If you want friends like that, you need to become a friend like that. And I was like, man, I don't want to be a fair weather friend. I want to be that. I, the, the thing that God challenged me with in this text is to be the friend that somebody can call at 2 o'clock in the morning when they're in trouble. And then I go and I don't give them a lecture. I just pick them up and bring them home. That's the kind of friend. I want to be a friend like Ruth. I don't want to be one like Orpah. That's another talk for another time because it gets, it gets intense. It even gets more intense right here. Watch this. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. This is like the person that hadn't been to church in 10 years, and all of a sudden they walk in. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, did you see something? Oh, no, see and, and, and the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now, does anybody remember what I told you Naomi's name meant? Anybody? Anybody? Sweetheart. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, hey, sweetheart, how you doing? That's what we say in the South to a lot of people. Hey, sweetheart, how are you doing? Now, watch what she does. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Don't call me sweetheart. Call me Mara. She changed her name. Mara, by the way, means bitter. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. There she is again, blaming it on God. I went away full, which she didn't go away full because there was a famine. We always, the past, we always make it look way better than it was sometimes, right? I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Just a real quick question, yes or no. 
Is she slightly pissed at God? Yes. She's, when you change your name from sweetheart to bitter, that's in, like if you met somebody today, hey, Bob, how you doing? My name's not Bob. My name is pissed. Okay, well, obviously we have some issues, Bob. Gonna, got a number of a guy I'd like you to call. Um, that's, that's intense. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this because this is huge. The community that she steps into and says, I am bitter and I am angry and God killed my husband and God killed my kids and God, God did it and she's just angry. The community in this story accepted her. They didn't try to correct her. They simply accepted her as she was. She doesn't get a theological lesson. She doesn't get a biblical lecture. They accepted her and they accepted Ruth as well, which was intense because Moabites technically weren't allowed to come into the center. She stepped into an accepting community. That's one of the visions I have about Second Chance. Is no matter where you are in life, bitter, hurt, angry, confused, you can step in. And in fact, Paul said this. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice. Now, I'm just being honest. I've been in Christian work for over 20 years. A lot of Christians have that backwards. A lot of people, if you're rejoicing, they try to get you to mourn, right? I'm so happy. You shouldn't be. You deserve hell. Okay, well, that's obviously why you have no friends. Thank you very much. And if somebody's mourning, we try to get them to rejoice. You know where I, you know where I discovered this? And, and I'm going to say this, and listen, I don't want any comments about this. Because I, actually, you can comment. I don't care. When somebody experiences a death in their family, the best thing you can do is show up and shut up. Because random Bible verses and Christian cliches don't help the situation. I'm preaching right now. <laughs> I remember standing beside my mother's coffin as an 11-year-old. And people coming up to me and saying the dumbest things. Well, Perry, their hearts were good. Yeah, but their brains were idiotic. Because they said things like, she looks so natural. And I'm 11 years old going, she looks dead. Like I said that out loud. I got pulled out of the funeral parlor going, you can't say that. I'm like, she's not, that's not natural. Or, or this was my favorite. Somebody walked up to me and said this, God just needed another flower in his garden. Okay, number one, my mom's not a flower. <laughs> and number two, if that's really what happened, I'm pissed at God right now. I'm telling you, when somebody's going through a hard time, show up and shut up. Ask them, hey, can I bring something over to eat? Can I bring something over to drink? What would you like to do? What would you like to talk about? When somebody is rejoicing, we should rejoice with them. And when somebody is mourning, we mourn with them. And that's what we see happening in this text. She shows up, she's hurting, she's bitter, she's broken, and the community accepts her in. Now this is where some people come in and go, well, sometimes you've got to speak truth into people's life. And you're right. But the Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. I don't find it ironic that grace is mentioned before truth because people typically won't accept our truth until we've shown them our grace. 
And so for the, all the people that love to drop truth bombs, really, 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 how much difference are you making for the kingdom of God? Grace and truth. And she comes in, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the end of this story that we're going to talk about, she experiences more life transformation than anything we could ever imagine. And it starts, by the way, with her being honest. And that's another thing. A lot of people feel like they can't be honest in church because if they're honest about how they really feel, they get kicked out. I love the fact she's honest, she's accepted, grace and truth. And then the Bible says this. I love this. I love this. So Naomi, verse 22, returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. That's so huge. I can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be week four. Her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. That's huge. Because there had been a famine, but now a harvest was coming. You know, um, one of my favorite restaurants, people ask me how much do they pay me to advertise. They don't pay me anything to advertise. I just love a restaurant in downtown Anderson called Sullivan's. And they've got great food. Um, their food is absolute. It doesn't matter. People ask me, what do, I, what do I get when I go there? Just whatever they have. Just get it. But they're, not, they're known for their food, but they're even more famous for their desserts. Because their desserts are absolutely, they actually have a glass case. So you walk in and you're face to face with sin right there. They're just sin. There's all kinds of cheesecakes and everything. Um, and, and there's some desserts that, that I just particularly, like all of them are good, I guess. But there's some that I really, really, really love. So I remember being in there one night, and um, I, you, you gotta go with a plan in mind. To go there and not get dessert probably is a sin. So you gotta go there with a plan in mind. So I planned my food out, what I was gonna get, and I was kinda looking at the dessert case, and there was some stuff in there that looked good, I was, didn't know, and Bill, the owner, I never will forget this, he came out to my table, and he looked at me and he said, are you about to get dessert? And I was like, yes sir, I am. And he said, well, I was hoping I'd catch you before you ordered because Sabra actually has the best stuff right now in the cooler. She hadn't brought it out yet. And so instead of just looking at what's in the case, there's something in the back that's greater than anything in the case. And that's why I came out here because that's what I want to bring to you. And I was like, you are a good man. The favor of God is on you. But I was thinking about that in this text because the way this story turns out for Naomi and Ruth is greater than they could have ever imagined. But what was prepared for them was hidden from them. They couldn't even see it. They, the first step in their journey toward that immeasurably more than they could ever ask or imagine was simply deciding, I'm leaving Moab and I'm coming back to Bethlehem. And I'm telling you, for some people that are listening and watching today, your harvest, just like it, your harvest is getting ready to come in. Your harvest, is your relational harvest, your emotional harvest, your financial harvest. You're getting ready to step out of a season of famine and into harvest because that's what God wants for your life. And I believe it with all my heart that the journey starts by saying, yes, Lord, I'll leave Moab and come back home. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for just how much is in this story. God, how your love is so unconditional. 
and how your acceptance is so unquestionable. Father, I pray for anybody out there right now who feels like they're in Moab. Maybe who feels like they've turned their back on you. They've started to walk away. That they are just reminded today that at any time they can come back home. They can turn around. They can be honest with you. They can tell you. We can tell you, God, how we feel and you can handle it. My head's bowed and eyes closed wherever you are. Maybe you're the person today that says, I need to come back from Moab. Maybe you're like in the beginning of this journey, you turned your back on Bethlehem and you're walking toward Moab. Maybe you're in Moab. Maybe you bought a second home in Moab. And you're like, today, today, Jesus, I want to start my journey back towards you. If that's true, you just tell him right now, right where you are. Right? Just tell him right where you are. And maybe, maybe you're watching today and you've never accepted Christ in your life. You've never asked Jesus to come in your life. You've never given your life to Jesus. In this story, we see Ruth. She literally gives her life to the Lord when she says, your God will be my God. Maybe that's the decision that you need to make today to completely surrender. And listen, this is why I would tell you to give your life to Jesus because he wants more for your life than you want for your life. So if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, just right where you are, you can pray right now. Right where you're sitting, right where you're, right, and just say, Jesus Christ, I believe that you died for my sins. Right now, Jesus, I accept you into my life. Take over. Be Lord. I surrender everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you are on Facebook and you just prayed to receive Christ, would you do a little hand raise emoji for us or just say, I accepted Christ? Um, do the hand, you can just hit the hand raise emoji or you can say, I accepted Christ because we would love to know about that. We'd love to be able to follow up with you. Or you can send us a Facebook message um, or you can email us at prayer at perrynoble.com just we, so we can celebrate that with you. And second chance, this has been so awesome. Don't y'all feel that way? We got some people, we got a few people in the room. Um, and two clapped. So they thought it was like the others are asleep. They're completely asleep. But that's okay. I have that gift. Listen, they are resting in the Lord right now. But starting hopefully at the end of September, we're going to be able to meet in this facility every single week. Um, we're, it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. And for those of you that give to Second Chance on a regular basis, Thank you for the way that you're giving because it's making a difference. Because of the way that you're giving, we were able to get this project launched in the first place. But listen, we need $250,000. We've got $25,000. We're 10% of the way there. We have started this move by faith, and I'm believing that God is going to do some great things. So if you're praying about it or whatever, stop praying. Let's get on it. The 250 k fund is on our website. Um, the address to mail a check-in is on our website. I can't wait to go through Ruth 2 next week. It's going to be awesome. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.